Welcome to Redemption Church Online. We are in the final sermon of 1 Peter. So uh, very exciting to have completed this book this summer. I think it's been, for me personally, it's been great. I hope you've enjoyed it and grown from it. Uh, next week for fall kickoff Sunday, uh, we'll start in the Gospel of John. We're going to spend a good bit of time uh, in the Gospel of John here for uh, the foreseeable future. And really looking forward to that sermon series. So I hope that you'll be back for, uh, as, for our kickoff off and for the gospel of John. Uh, I want to finish this sermon series by talking about the stranger's battle, the stranger's battle. Stranger in this sermon series is just another word for Christian. Those who live as strangers on this earth, this is not our home, uh, but where we live temporarily on mission and on purpose for God. The stranger's battle, if you think, let me say it this way, I, I I read something on, on Facebook the other day that said, if it was January, if you could go back to January 1st of 2020, what advice are you giving yourself? And I don't think any of us had any idea of how 2020 was going to go. But now in retrospect, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Would you tell yourself to go stock up on toilet paper or, um, you know, stock up on red meat? Or what is it that you would tell yourself to prepare yourself for what is about to happen? Well, interestingly enough, I think because of the Holy Spirit's role as Peter wrote this book, he's writing to a church that's about to experience intense persecution, but they don't even know it. Peter himself doesn't even know it. I don't know if he had any um, inkling that this might be coming, but Peter himself, within two years of writing this letter, is actually going to be put to death as a Christian. And so as we get to the end of first Peter, it's, it's kind of in God's sovereignty. It's things you need to know for what's about to happen, even though you don't know it's about to happen. Let's look at first Peter chapter five, verses eight through 14. Be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, and this is Peter's closing to the letter, through Silvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peter's final words in this letter. Now he'll write another letter after this. It's not his final words to the church, but his final words in the letter point us to the stranger's battle. I want to make three points uh, from this passage of scripture. The first is this strangers have a sworn enemy, the devil. We as Christians, strangers have a sworn enemy who is the devil. We have an adversary. I remember hearing a story when I was in Bible college about a seminary student that was coming to the end of his studies. He was about to graduate and he went before the ordination council to be considered for ordination into ministry. And so they grilled him like you do in those settings on all kinds of theological questions, asked him what he believed about this and where he stood on that. And, and, you know, went, to, just put him through it and, and grilled him and, and, and made sure that he had 
been faithful in his studies and, and learned and really studied the scriptures and understood the world from a biblical worldview. Well, there was one place where he kind of broke from, from orthodoxy and where he kind of had a different view than those who were considering him for ordination. And that was on the existence and the reality of the devil. He did not believe that the devil was a real creature or a real being um, and wasn't a real enemy. And the ordination team met and, the, and they discussed without him, you know, hey, he, he had all the right answers. He seemed to know everything that, that we would want a guy to know going into ministry. But what about his views on the devil? We can't, we can't put him into ministry if he, doesn't, um, if he doesn't believe what the Bible says about the devil. And one wise minister on that team spoke up and, he, and made the case for ordaining him. And he said, Give him six months in ministry and he'll believe in the devil. And I think that's uh, probably a lot of truth to that. When we engage and when we live our lives the way that God has called us to live our lives, there's resistance. There is, and we come face to face with this reality that we have an adversary. Uh, a wise friend told me when I was getting ready to plant uh, Redemption Church, he said, when a church planner moves to town, Satan says, what is his wife's name and what are his kids' names? And though, you know, I, I'm not hyper-spiritual. I don't blame everything on the devil. Um, I don't believe that everything bad that happens is because the devil caused it to happen. And I don't actually believe that Satan actually has a conversation using those words. But I'll tell you this, uh, the sentiment of that statement was absolutely true. As we've gone the last a little over a year and a half uh, and left our, our previous ministry and planted this church, we have experienced spiritual battle. It's a real thing. It's a part of the Christian life. We ha and that's because we have an adversary. We have a sworn enemy. So let's talk about the devil. A couple of things that we know that I think, I mean, there's a lot we could say about the devil. There's lots of, um, you know, it's a big theological topic and there's, there's lots of things that we could talk about, but a couple of things that I think are important to point out. One is that Satan is the Satan. The devil is a created being. He's created by God. He's created by God and he rebelled against God and became uh, not only our adversary, but God's adversary. He has opposed and subverted God's plan for man from the very beginning. It's the devil that's in the garden of Eden. When God creates the first man and the woman and he puts them in the garden and he, he says, multiply, fill the earth and tend the garden and do all this good stuff with this good creation. Everything's good. It's good, good, good. That's what the first two chapters of Genesis God created and it was good. Well, there was one thing that wasn't good, and that was the devil. The devil comes and he tempts Adam and Eve, and he causes them to go into rebellion against God. And, he, and he's, he's there at the very first sin. This is what he has always done all throughout human history. He has opposed and subverted God's good plan for man that he created. Revelation 2, chapter 10, this is uh, the Apostle John writing to, he writes, writes this letter where he addresses some of the churches in the, in the area. And uh, to one church, I believe it's the church of Smyrna that uh, is mentioned in Revelation 2, verse 10. He says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. And you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. John speaks of the devil as the one who is responsible for the suffering they are about to face. 
He says, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison. Now, does Satan himself show up and carry people off to prison? No, he does it through human beings. And we know that Satan himself is a spiritual creature. He's a created being and he's a spiritual creature and that he influences the actions and activities of human beings. That's how he accomplishes his will and his desire of subverting God's plan for mankind. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you. Think of the example of Job where the devil goes and he wants to test Job's faith. That's one of the things that he does is he tests us, but God uses that for good. Because John said, you'll experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. We are called to faithfulness in, in when we face the opposition of the devil. Another thing we know about the devil is that he'll one day be thrown into the lake of fire. The Bible tells us that, uh, that the lake of fire is prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what Jesus said in the Gospels. And so he'll one day be um, no longer influencing the lives of human beings, but he will be eventually finally defeated once and for all, never to uh, harass or to harm human beings again. And finally, most, and most importantly, in the context of our text is that the devil must be resisted until then, until that day, until we get to the point when, uh, when he has t- his role in testing and afflicting and doing harm uh, against human beings until he's removed and thrown into the lake of fire, we're called to resist him. That's why James four says, therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's our response. So the devil's a created being. He's opposed to God. He afflicts human beings uh, and does all kinds of evil, but he'll one day be thrown in the lake of fire. Until then, we must resist. That's our response. But you have to know that you have a sworn enemy. This is, let me go back to 1 Peter now. 1 Peter chapter 8, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion. Greg was pointing out as we were looking at this passage together that it says your adversary. We often think of the devil as God's adversary, that his beef and his battle is mainly with God. But the Bible is clear that he carries out that beef and that battle by becoming our adversary. You have an enemy. You have a sworn enemy who is hell bent on destroying you and ruining your life. That's why uh, Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. That's his will for your life. The devil's will for your life is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's your adversary. He's a sworn enemy. But Jesus goes on to say, but I've come to give life and life abundantly. Back to verse eight, your adversary, the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Peter describes the devil as a roaring lion, roaring lion. That is an intimidating image. I mean, lions are, dude, they're rough. They, they can do some harm. Lion, lions are tough. A roaring lion seeking to devour us. This is, this is not good news. This is not encouraging. I think back to that movie, uh, must have been like mid to late 90s, The Ghost in the Darkness with Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas. It's based on this true story. Um, 
I think it's in the 1800s, maybe early 1900s in Kenya, Africa, they're building a railroad. And so there's all these guys out there working on the railroad, uh, railroad workers. And they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere with a lot of this. Um, and there's these two lions that they, they named the ghost in the darkness who, and again, this is based on a true story, killed dozens of these railroad workers to the point where, I mean, it, it's, it, it's to, to this day, it's a huge mystery. I mean, there's lots of speculation about why they did that. Uh, of course, there's tons of superstition at, at that time, especially in, in that culture. And so there's this conceptual idea that these are demons or they're demon possessed or they're some sort of evil creatures. Maybe there's a more natural explanation. I, I know one guy basically blamed it on these lions had like sore teeth and they had a toothache and it, they didn't want to go to the work of chasing wild animals or something. People have tried to explain this away, but it's a true story. There's these, these, these roaring, prowling lions devouring human beings. And it was this terrible, terrible situation. And Peter says, that's, that's kind of like the reality of our lives. There, there's, you have a sworn enemy, the devil, and he's going around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We need to be aware of this. We need to be keen to this and understand that we have this sworn enemy. But here's the good news. Even though we have a sworn enemy, the second point is this, that strangers have an undefeated ally the God of all grace. Strangers have an undefeated ally, the God of all grace. Let's look at verse, we've read verses eight and nine. Let's look at verse 10, uh, verses 10 and 11. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Good news, guys. Good news that even though we have a sworn enemy, we have this undefeated ally. God is on our side. The God of all grace, the true ruler of this universe, the one who has power over our sworn enemy, the devil, the one, the one who created him, the one whom he's subject to, though he's in rebellion. The God of all grace is on our side. That's the good news. That's the good news of the end of first Peter here, that God is on our side, even though we have this somewhat terrifying um, sworn enemy, we have an even greater God who is on our side. That's why first John four, four says in, in reference to the antichrist and a lot of the evil things that happen in the world and things that might cause us fear. First John four, four says you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And we need to remember that. And the Bible is very clear that we're not to be flagrant in the fact that God is in us. And we're not, we're not to challenge the devil or, um, you know, to, to minimize his power or his influence or the reality of, of what he can do, but we're not to be afraid of him. We're not to be afraid of him because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world or in anywhere else. We have an undefeated ally the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory. If he's called us, if he's called us in Christ, he will restore, establish, strengthen, and support. 
after we've suffered a little while. This is a theme throughout First Peter, right? He talks a lot about suffering. He talks about suffering for doing good. He talks about the suffering that we face through persecution. You know, he talks about the suffering of just the reality of being strangers on the earth, of being here in the flesh and having to resist sin and having to resist the world and having to fight uh, in this spiritual battle where we have a sworn enemy who's trying to devour us. But we have this promise that the God of all grace will restore us. The God of all grace will establish us. The God of all grace will strengthen us. And the God of all grace will support us after we've suffered a little while. You know, for a lot of reasons, reasons, you know, I don't have time to, to go into or um, not really want to get off track in this sermon, but God allows us to go through seasons of testing. God allows us to go through seasons of trials and difficult seasons. In the midst of those seasons, don't lose sight of the fact that you have an undefeated God on your side. You have a God who strengthens, establishes, and restores and supports. And even if you're in the fight of your life, you have this assurance that there's coming a day when he will restore you. And it might even not be here on earth. It might be in eternity in heaven. But we have this promise that God is with us. He's on our side. He's, an, he's our undefeated ally. So then finally, the third point that I want to make from this passage, therefore, strangers stand firm. We've, we've got a sworn enemy, the devil, but we have an undefeated ally, the God of grace. So in light of that, therefore, strangers stand firm. Christians, you have an enemy, but you've got God on your side, so stand firm. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't bow down. Don't surrender in the fight. Instead, stand firm. Hold your ground. Stay the course. Remain faithful. This is what Peter says in verse 12. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. What's the point of this whole letter that Peter has written? He wants to assure and encourage that this is the grace of God. What he's just written about, this is the grace of God. And so the point of this letter is to encourage us to stand firm. To stand firm, whether Peter knew what was about to come or not. And I don't, think, I don't think he did. I don't think he knew the incredible persecution that was about to break out against the church. Just like we walked into 2020 like, hey, 2020, going to be my year. Good things coming. And then, boom, everything just falls apart. God is sending a message to his church before that happens, before this persecution breaks out. He says, look, you got an enemy. He's trying to devour some of you. Don't let him stand firm, resist him, resist the devil. He will flee from you. He doesn't have power over us when we resist him. He doesn't, he doesn't have the authority beyond what God allows him to do. So stand firm, Stand firm in it. And then he's, there's some conclusion. Well, let me, let me go to, let me read. I'll read 13 and 14. I want to talk about a couple of things in 12 through 14, but I want to stay on the stand firm thing for a, a moment. 
Uh, she who is in Babylon chosen together. Let me, I'm going to skip that part. Let me go to Ephesians 6, which I don't have slides for. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. This is how Paul says something very similar. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil has schemes. He has plans. He has a will for your life. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do in your life, Christian. So put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. We live in a reality where there's both the physical, which is seen, and the spiritual, which is largely unseen. Though God chooses to manifest at times uh, physically and visibly what is invisible in the spiritual realm. We live in in a reality where there's both. And the battle is primarily taking place in the spiritual. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist. There it is again. This is the answer. The answers to our enemy is to resist. Resist in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. Take your stand. Stand firm. Stand your ground. When it gets hard, when the battle is raging, Stand firm. That's the message of first Peter. That's what he wants us to hear. That's what he ends on. That's what he, he wants to leave us with. There's a battle. You're in it. You got an enemy. He wants to kill you. God is on your side. Stand firm. A couple of things, uh, as we look at the closing of this book that, uh, I just want to mention, um, in these last couple of verses, I love, I love this. He says through Silvanus in verse 12, through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him. As strangers on the earth, as, as Christians, men and women, we become brothers and sisters. There's a brotherhood and a sisterhood. There's a, there, there's a bond between Christians that is oftentimes greater than the bond between blood relatives. I love that he says, a faithful brother, as I consider him. I was at a funeral. I, I was doing a funeral um, recently for, for a friend that passed away. And uh, I, I know uh, he and his, his wife, I've known he and his wife for a long time. And there's a, there's a, a young man, actually he's my age. There's a, um, they're a generation older than me, let's say. Um, and there's a young man my age who they've kind of adopted as a, a son, not officially, not like he moved in with them, but like they just, a, a young man who they've known for decades, who just needed, he needed a family, he needed love, he needed mentors in his life. And they, they took him in. And, and I remember he was sharing um, at, the, at the funeral and he introduced himself as a family friend. And I was so tempted to interrupt him because I've, every time I've heard them refer to him, they refer to him as a son, not just a friend, but a son. They consider him part of the family. And I, I never did share that with him. I wanted him to know, know that. I think he does know that. He was just, it was nothing inappropriate about the way he introduced himself. But it stood out to me. And I, I see Peter has this relationship with Sylvanus, not his actual brother, but something maybe even better than that. Somebody I consider a brother. 
And then he describes Mark in verse 13 as his son, not his son by blood, but his son in the faith. There's a fam, there's a family, a familial nature to the body of Christ that we have brothers and sisters and we have spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. And if we grow into maturity, we actually have spiritual sons and spiritual daughters. It's a beautiful thing in the family of Christ. But then Peter, and then Peter says in, in verse 14, greet uh, one another with a kiss of love, which Greg is always trying to do. Every time I see him, he just, he, he's quoting the, I actually, <laughs> I actually know a guy that, that, um, you know, he, he uh, well, I know a guy that quotes this passage of scripture and, and makes a lot of people uncomfortable in the process. But the point isn't necessarily the kiss. The point is the expression of love. And perhaps that was culturally uh, more appropriate and, and acceptable like it is still in many places today, but not for us. The point is, though, that we are to deeply love each other's family. That's another way that Peter ends this letter is reminding us that we're family. She who is in Babylon, which would be the Christians in Rome, they just referred to Rome as Babylon, um, sends greetings, as does Mark, my son, greet one another with a kiss, peace to all of you who are in Christ. And that's how Peter, he ends this letter by reminding us that we're family, reminding us as Christians, hey, we, we have, we have an, a sworn enemy God is on our side, stand firm, and don't forget you've got brothers and sisters, and you've got people around you that care, and I want to encourage you to treat each other that way. As we fight against the devil, our adversary, and as we seek to resist him and to stand firm knowing that we have an undefeated ally in the God of all grace, let's lift each other up, encourage each other, defend each other, and act as the family of God. You know, as we end this uh, series on this letter, also just want to say, if you're not a part of that family, you only get into this family one way. You can't buy your way in. You can't uh, manipulate your way in. You don't get voted in. Um, you get in one way, and that's through tr trusting in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and to be your Savior and to begin following him. Uh, in your life as a, what we call a disciple of Christ, a stranger on the earth, somebody who's chosen, uh, who's, who's chosen to live their lives for Jesus Christ and the gospel. And if you haven't done that, I want to invite you to do that. Come join our family. You would be more than welcome. We'd love to have you as a brother or a sister in Christ and do that by putting your faith in Jesus and begin following him today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the letter of 1 Peter. Uh, which instructs us on so many things on how we can live faithful lives for you. Help us to take these words seriously into heart. And specifically, as we look at, at the end of chapter five here, help us to be aware, not afraid, not in fear, but be aware that we have an enemy. Uh, but help us to be even more aware that we have an undefeated ally in you. And therefore, help us to stand firm. May we not give in. May we not give up. May we fight the good fight. May we put on the armor of God and stand firm in our faith. And help us to do that alongside of the brothers and sisters that you've given us in the body of Christ. We, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. I hope you'll be back for the beginning of the Gospel of John next week and for Fall Kickoff Sunday. Let's uh, continue in worship uh, through one more song before we close.